Hello, what's going on? This is your new favorite, JJ Caballero. Welcome to Mono Stereo Video. I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, I DJ, and I love movies. So I thought, why not start a podcast where I could talk about movies and music? Thus, Mono Stereo Video, where we dive into the soundtracks of our lives. <laughs> it's not that cheesy. But we dive into soundtracks. That's what we do here. Monosterio Video. Brand new podcast. This is the first episode of the podcast. I'm not going to waste any more time. Uh, my first guest is the owner of TPG Radio. Co-owner of TPG Radio. A good friend of mine. Very good friend of mine. Lives out in Spokane. Um, from here in El Paso, Texas, where I am based out of. I am recording right now in in El Paso, Texas, our lovely studio, Caballero. The home of me, JJ Caballero. Anyway, today we're talking about the soundtrack for Train Spotting, the Danny Boyle classic, awesome soundtrack. First episode, so let's not waste any more time. Oh, I started off with this monologue. I don't know if I'm going to keep this monologue thing going, but I thought this one was cool, so I'm going to keep it in. Hope you guys like it. Hope you guys have a great time listening to the pod. In 1996, English screenwriter John Hodge and director Danny Boyle adapted Irvine Welsh's 1993 novel Transpotting. After success with their first film, Shallow Graves gave the duo access to studio ears. The gritty British black comedy follows a gaggle of heroin addicts and social outcasts through the streets of an economically depressed Edinburgh. The filmmakers present the audience with an honest and objective view into the lives of an otherwise voiceless group of individuals that exist in the shadows of the forgotten. The film soundtrack was among the first to marry Britpop, punk, and rave music. Released in 1996, it provided the perfect sonic foundation to tell the grim British tale. The soundtrack was such a smash, a second collection was released in October of 1997. That's all I got so far for uh, my little introduction. How's it going? My name is JJ Caballero. I am your new favorite. Welcome to Monasterio Video. Um, Today my guest is my friend Luis Mota, co-founder of the Palimpsest Group, uh, the daddy here at TPG Radio. (laughs) <laughs> uh, tour manager extraordinaire, Bon Vivant. He's a, a man traveled. What's going on? How's it going? Good, good. Things are well. Um, made it down here to El Paso for a little bit to, to hang out from How's... the frigid cold air up north. <laughs> and where are you based out of? Excuse Spokane, me. Spokane, Washington. <laughs> yeah. And if you, you know, um, if you don't already know, uh, Luis is, he's, he's, the man, uh, along with our dude Norman, he's the, they're the men here for TPG Radio. Uh, used to be little radio station, not a little radio station. Yeah. It was a radio station. Twenty four seven radio station. Yeah. Twenty four radio seven. Twenty four seven radio station. And now we're we are what we are. Yeah. And we're doing what we do. Kind of more of a podcast network production company. A little bit more broad. Cool. Yeah. What are the, what are some of the other programs that 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 you're so right now we have uh, hot lunch again we're still continuing hot lunch with Casey Strain um, where we go around and, and interview and and review hot lunch spots um, around Spokane but also whenever we travel 
um, little comic flair to it. Because he's actually funny. I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I'm. I don't know if I'm gonna try to be funny on this. I don't know. No. Okay. Uh, but go on. Go on. Yeah. No. And then we have a dummy copy with um, cool Claire and Carrie. They uh, they review all your your hit books. Um, yeah, they're just little uh, quirky book review peeps. And then yeah, we're gonna be growing some other ones and and picking up some other podcasts here. Throughout the year, we're talking about Danny Boyle's Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, Train Spotting was a vehicle to talk about. Uh, at the time, the book I think was written in 1993, Irvine Welsh. And at that time, Edinburgh was a like a haven for heroin, and it, it was the AIDS pandemic had totally like hit Edinburgh. For I'm sure for reasons like that that are kind of related and intertwined, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, as as such, you know, economic devastation brings along uh, desperation and and yeah. people trying to to. Well, cope. Yeah. Escape. Cope with all that and escape reality because it's so. You know. You know it's turmoil. And it's crazy thinking about it because that stuff has not actually like. I mean, I guess it's it's. It's gotten better. Things have gotten better. Like what, from what I was reading for the podcast, Edinburgh is not like that anymore. So mm-hmm. thank goodness for that. But it's still there's still epidemics and stuff that 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 pop up. It's not like you know. I mean, there there's progress that's been made towards like AIDS and HIV, which is great. Yeah. But it's not like completely eradicated. And it was like. No, and it's still gonna continue. And I think. Uh, throughout the years, you know, things change. So you have your one drug pandemic and then mm-hmm. you have another drug and then you fix that one or you like clean it up. And, you know, just kind of like a prime example of what's happening in the States is the legalization of marijuana, you know. Mm-hmm. So you had your laced marijuana, you had your, you know, uh, bunk marijuana from the leaves or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, you know, you had your shit. What do you call it? Or just skunkweed. Yeah, skunky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and now it's just like, no, now we have dispensaries that make the good shit and that you don't really fuck yourself up by mm-hmm. by having bad drugs. So it's kind of like it it it's growing and it's helping the pandemics out. But then you have your your new drugs like fentanyl. So that's Yeah. That's that good. stuff's getting pretty that's pretty heavy, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if we're like, you know, it, it's crazy cuz this movie was it, it came out at the time when this was like it, it kind of brought up it, in pop culture there was an influence of it over like the whole heroin chic you know yeah. aspect of oh, everything yeah. in the 90s right like but it was happening at a time when and especially now uh like i was listening to you know danny boyle and the the other filmmakers uh uh john hodge and i forgot the the, the producer of the of the thing of the movie um but they were talking about like they wanted to really give a voice to the voiceless, right? Yeah. Like you like, especially in the book, they, they, it was they, they said that the book was more of like a picaresque, right? Like it was more of like the adventures of this crew of dudes and what they got into, and you know the ways that they they all mm-hmm. um, coped with different things. But it was more about like the adventure, yeah. and it even spawned a few uh, sequels. I don't know if there was like like. If you've read any of the, have you yeah, read the book so or anything? The, yeah, and then it, you know, it had the Train Spotting 2, and then it had, um, it was the other book that came out of it. 
I don't remember the name of it, but I mean, it, it definitely came in a time in my life, and yeah. that's why it's so, it's such a good movie for me. Is that it, like I could relate to having that group of friends, you know? So it was a, it was '96, so I was a junior in high school, you know, and so that's when I'm like kind of learning my life and figuring out what direction I want to go and all that kind of stuff. I had friends dying of heroin overdoses. Uh, I literally had a handful of people I've been hanging out with and it was a group site, you know, hung out at places that are like, that were kind of pictured in the movie of like, you know, just a, a, a crappy shithole uh, apartment or whatever uh, where everyone just does their drugs at this one apartment. And, you know, it, and it, the funny thing is, is like I could have gone two directions. I could have gone, you know, the route that I did and the route that I, you know, could have gone deep into the heroin, you know, which I never tried heroin, but I could have. And I could have, you know, gone into that, which it was like it was entertaining to me in my head. And literally this movie came to me at a right time where. You know, I'm seeing the scenes of like a, a baby bloated and dead, you know, because people ignored, you know, taking care of their baby and then like, you know, throwing up and shitting in, in the worst toilet of, of Scotland. And like, you know, just like scenes like that where it's just like, you know, crawling, like it was just like the, the nightmare of, of, of having been on heroin, it, it turned me off. And then and on to- I mean, I'm not saying like this is the thing that got me, but it was a cherry on top where... You know, I had friends dying, overdosing on heroin and all that kind of stuff. So it was me seeing it firsthand of like, it it, it painted a gross picture of it. And it, it helped me, which changed my view. At the same time, as we're talking about soundtracks, the soundtrack came out and it, it was when I was, you know, right at the end of uh, Punk Rock's Everything. You know, like like no matter what, punk rock. You know, nothing nothing's better than punk rock. Everything sucks if you're not punk rock. Yeah. And then I was like, oh wait, I heard some goth industrial. Oh, that's good. And then I was like, dabbling into, you know, rockabilly. Oh, okay, that could be kind of punk. And then you know, then I started broadening my horizons. And then bam, the soundtrack came out, and it has every. I was like, hey, Iggy pops on this. Iggy pops punk. He can't be on this. Like. first like punk experience or what would you say was like the first punk thing that you had or or you know seven inch or cd or (laughs) well i mean i'm i'm the i'm the i'm the believer of the punk lifestyle punk's a lifestyle punk's a a mental state punk's a um you know a rebellious state it's more a, a mindset than than your actual like music is the way to describe punk and to to have a voice or a, a what do you call it a platform for yeah. a punk idealist so um i did i you know i i was doing the whole um so yeah when i say like punk music like yeah it was like the whole like anti-establishment anti this i know like you know gbh fear um you know i don't know I, i'm drawing blanks right now but like would you say like the the and the the movement and the people you were around influenced it and then you started listening to the music like would you say like you adopted the ideals first or would you say like you like heard the music and you're like oh what the fuck i didn't realize that those those the punk ideals until music okay so that's one thing and i started like really listening i was like oh this is this is more of a 
a way of life, you know, and music told me that, you know, or explained that to me, I guess. And yeah, so it was like, you know, I was, I was living that whole, like, you know, I would do the whole food, not bombs thing and, and feed the homeless and do like protests and take over San Jacinto Plaza downtown and, you know, and, 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 and do those, uh, uprisings and all that kind of stuff and then doing like uh benefit shows and bringing in punk bands to like do all these things and that's kind of where i started the whole music industry was doing like backyard shows and and doing like the whole underground punk quote-unquote punk movement um and yeah so that's uh Damn, that's pretty that's a pretty cool like melding of your origin story and like you know the the where you fit along with this so the soundtrack, did you own it? Did a friend yeah. own it? Uh, okay. So this was when, like, you would go... This is back when you go to, like, the record store or you go to, like, a local music shop and they have the headphones and you can listen to things. Yeah. And I just watched the movie and it was, like, very, like... I was I remember listening to it. I was like, oh, my God. Just, like, you pop on here and, like, all this stuff. And then so I went to... I'm trying to think of the place. I think of a warehouse music or something. And... um. It was there on the on the listening booth or whatever, and I just listened to it. And I was like, "Oh shit, this is actually pretty cool." It has New Order, it has Plastica, it has a bunch of stuff that I never even heard of. I was like, "What's this British style music?" You know, and like Iggy Pop was the first song, and then you know, and then in, and then it was also this. It was a time when I was getting into the whole rave scene too, because I expanded my mind. Like I was in, you know dabbled in little drugs here and there so it was like go to a rave to pick it up you know and then i hung out at the rave and you know all that kind of shit and then um so i was like did i heard that song born slippy i'm like oh shit's legit i was like okay now now i'm really opening my mind to all styles of music and to be honest i think this soundtrack changed my way of thinking where it like pulled me out of oh punk is the only way of life to being like, oh, there's actual like, you know, electronic music, Britpop, Iggy Pop. To I keep bringing up Iggy Pop because he was the punk well, person. Well, it's on true. The, I mean, he was on. He was a punk person on. Yeah. On that album, you know. So. So this totally like it. It was a soundtrack that meshed like all the worlds. Um, it, the this the, the characters in the movie, were played by Ewan McGregor. It was Mark Renton. He went by mm-hmm. Rent Boy. Uh, Ewan Bremner went by he went by Spud. He it was Daniel Spud Murphy, Johnny Lee Miller of uh, Hackers fame. Hackers, a soundtrack that I'm totally gonna do on this podcast. Like I don't know who's gonna do it with me. Oh, that's a good movie that's too. Yeah, an awesome soundtrack. We'll yeah. get back, we'll get into that at some point. Uh, Franco, uh, Robert Carlyle, Begbie. Um, that's like the 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 main crew, and then you know just another kind of like hodgepodge of people, British actors indie people uh kelly mcdonald was the love interest of rent boy and i w- I watched in an interview too that they just found her at a rave at a rave like they just found her in a club and they're like uh, oh she's like the girl for the movie and i don't know how i felt about that either because she was kind of young and she yeah. was young in the movie and yeah, she like, was a schoolgirl. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> she's like oh you flatmates and then like the, the parents are like oh, no 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 <laughs> Turned around and she's in a little schoolgirl outfit, and he's like, "Oh shit!" You know, a little problematic. <laughs> I mean, can't can't not a, can't not address that. Nineteen ninety six. So you were a junior. 
Junior. Well, I graduated in 97, so. Yeah. 96. High school? So Which high school? High school. Coronado High School. Coronado High School, Paso, yeah. Texas. All right. Just right up here. Yeah. Right up here. Este. What was everybody else listening to at the time around you? Oh. Um... Were you, like, so. For the people that were watching Trainspotting, like, were you, was it like a select crew of like, oh shit, like, I've seen this? Or was like, was it like everybody had already seen it? In no, your... it started out to be like a kind of an underground movie to watch. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then it come, came to mainstream. So yeah, it was like a, so like, oh no, you have to watch this one movie. Um, did you see it in theater or did you see it on video? No, I saw it on video. Okay. Mm-hmm. VHS. Dang. At a friend's house. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, that's cool. I'm not sure. I guess, yeah, it was at a movie theaters, but I don't remember why I didn't go see it in a movie theater. I remember, I mean, I was I was younger. 1996, I would have been six or seven. Not six. Not six. No, I, w- I would have been seven or eight. Yeah. I was born in 88, so that's what. Like, I don't know, but I was little. I remember that. I do remember hearing, like, seeing the preview on my grandma's big wooden box TV that, oh, yeah. that had the dial, you know? And I always remember seeing the preview and then hearing the Lust for Life song. And I remember, too, it, was, it, was, it would come out, like, that video would come out on MTV. Like, the, like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it was like Iggy Pop dancing in that white mm-hmm. room and then it's intercut with the movie, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. all that. I remember that. And, like, I remember... I have like an early memory of of knowing who Iggy Pop was, but not knowing who Iggy Pop was. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that was like, but I didn't see the movie until like I was like 13, 14 years old. 12, thir- 12 between twelve and fourteen, we mo- I moved in with my dad, and my dad had lived on the east side of town, and his thing was like you know business was going good everything's rad we're remodeling this house let's get satellite oh fuck yeah we got satellite now we're gonna get a big screen tv and it was those big ass boxes those big ass big screen tvs and we had the independent film channel and i remember just like it just came on one time and we had it in our rooms we're super spoiled back then like we had we had all that chinga um at the time in my teens those those was it the projector screens the projector the one, TVs yeah mm-hmm. the big ass like huge big box that's like get all warm warm up the whole yeah <laughs> the whole living room it's good for the winter and Christmas movies and yeah I remember watching it there and just being like whoa like it was I think it may have been the first quote unquote indie film that I saw right the first one that I it wasn't like you know just true lies or any fucking or twister or any a twister a soundtrack that we will totally do this uh, on this uh podcast at some point twister is like one of my it's gonna keep coming up but twister like it's up there with my favorite ones i don't really fucking, yeah wow. it's the jam any anything with the chili peppers on it like the beavis and butthead soundtrack no. you know what i mean like it's crazy but i just remember watching this and getting that like man that was a good movie but getting that icky feeling you know what yeah. i mean because it's it's an icky movie too mm-hmm. There's, there's certain scenes. Um, my memories of 1996. Well, there, I had a had a little rundown of things that were was happening in 1996. 1996. Hold on. Okay. Uh, July 12th, around the time, like this was, I think, was July 7th, uh, 1996. It was released um, with the soundtrack, like around the same time. 
Hurricane Bertha makes landfall in North Carolina. North Carolina caused a lot of a lot of damage in North Carolina. Hurricane Bertha. Um, TWA Flight 800. It exploded off the coast of Long Island. It killed all 230 uh, passengers on board. Oof. July 19th. The 1996 Summer Olympics began. I remember. I, I just remember Olympics kind of just popping up here and there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Olympic. Oh, in July and twenty. The July twenty seventh Centennial Olympic Park bombing at the Summer Olympics. Oh, that was the one that got bombed. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Vaguely. Yeah. Let's see. Tupac died in September of this year. That's when Tupac was was shot. And this is kind of reflective of the year. Uh, conservative News Network and Murdoch Propaganda Vacuum Fox News launched this year. Uh, so that's when Fox News was like totally broadcast to the rest of the world. And it was like a, it was who uh, Clinton was in office. Clinton was like starting to run against Bob Dole. That's, that was like the whole thing that year. Uh, Bob Dole was a big opponent of his. Um, there was like a wave of conservatism happening. Uh, it was reflective in, in that Danny Boyle and like Charlie Rose was interviewing all three of the filmmakers and you could hear it in his voice. Like he, he kind of had like that accusatory, you know, like this movie is influencing kids fashion and doesn't it make people want to take heroin? Like it was a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, but by your account, it it made me it scared me away. Yeah, exactly, and that and, and that was. Uh, I think the movie picked it perfectly. Like the imagery was just like, I well, if you were already using it, probably probably would you wouldn't have it would have phased you. But yeah, like anything, you know. Yeah, but uh, it, I don't. If you used heroin because of this movie, you had other problems. Yeah, you know, because I I think it it was so like everything was so negative context about it yeah and that was the filmmaker's main message of it that was that that's what they kept trying to hammer on in this interview was a lot of what we're trying to do is provide a realistic take on it we want to show you the nitty-gritty of it and i feel at the time like the 90s were like let's be real right like it it felt like like reality tv when was the real world was a real it was world? it was around it was early nineties I believe right yeah. like it was sometime around then and then like you know that that was already kind of popping off and yeah things needed to get real there was primer impacto for those of you in our of our Latin influence uh, your grandmas might have been watching primer impacto <laughs> I was definitely watching primer impacto um, at first episode nineteen ninety two the real world yeah wow. Well, so even earlier, so this would mm-hmm. they would have been like on a whole like on their fourth season or some shit like that. Yeah. So wow, full fledged, and I feel this was a very like MTV era movie too. You know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, the soundtrack came out July of 1996. The soundtrack was so successful that the filmmakers released a second soundtrack yeah. in October of 1997. Uh, the second soundtrack kind of featured. I was reading. And it is more. There's like, re- what's up? No, I was up, just saying, like the second one. Uh, oh, okay. What is that? Um, um, Choose life. What was yes. that? Uh, that was like the 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 intro of the movie turned into a dance kind of uh, like song. an anthem. Yeah, and like a PF remix project. Like yeah, Choose Life PF project. 
Well, it's funny because like around that time, um, I started working bartending. Oh. And then I started bartending at um, it. This was actually a turn of yeah. This is totally turned in my life because I went from like hanging out, getting cheap beers as a punk rocker, and like hanging out outside of a Seven Eleven with a couple of homeless. <laughs> Hillbilly and Donna, I remember them. It was a, it was like I'm pretty sure they were like 30, but I thought they were 80. Um, and they lived behind a warehouse music. Oh no, a home uh, blockbuster video. Like awesome. And, rest in peace, blockbusters. Yeah, and and Hillbilly and Donna. Um, ah, rest in peace. Yeah, that was years ago. That was ages ago. And they would just buy us beer. We'll give them money, and they go buy us beer, and we buy them a beer, and we all party with them. And, <laughs> and I give a shit, you know. I was like a punk rocker, and then I don't know. Like this, I I do believe that not. This was right. This movie came out right when I'm like changing my mind of like broadening my horizons and stuff. Like I, I think I repeated myself, but yeah, that's fine. Um, which is, and then I so I started bartending, you know, and I bartended at the OP, which is a dance club. Um, and this song came on Choose Life. He like the DJ brought it on, and and I was like, and then Born Slippy was like all popular in the dance clubs and all that stuff. So I was like, oh okay, this is this is a cool shit. You know, I love it. I like it. It like it did the perfect job of like to me the 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 whole idea of marrying like Britpop punk and dance music. It felt like a it's like a. A revolutionary thing, right? Like it's mm-hmm. kind of an anti-establishment thing. Like, like I mean, raves popped up at a time when they were like they were underground for a reason, right? Yeah. Like, it was kind of like well, they're underground in most of the '90s. Yeah, and I think they popped back up, or not back up, but they popped up in the early 2000s. How was like raving here at that time? How was raving in El Paso? Oh, it was uh, it was crazy because we have Wadas right next door, so that that kind of leaned into the whole like very heavy drug influenced rave scenes cartel kind of ran oh it was it it turned into a very dark scene oh but it was very underground fun as it lasted like there was a lot of money in it we had like big desert parties i remember there's one at this lake out far east uh hidden or um mountain no mountain shadow lake Lake? yeah so they they rented out mountain shadow lake Whoa. They had like a big, you know, feria where they had like a carousel and stuff, but then they had a DJ DJ stage and stuff in the middle of the lake and then, you know, but it was it, it wasn't a like back then to get to Shadow Mountain Lake, it was like in the middle of nowhere. So Still kind of is, still kind of is. Yeah, <laughs> still kind of is. It still kind of is, but it's still cl- it's closer to the city limits. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And but back then like you would not you would have to go down dirt roads and all that shit and um and it was one of those like go to this place and find the egg and then ask this this convenience store worker for the next direction <laughs> and you got you know call this number and they'll tell you where you know all that it was seriously like that kind of thing a where, whole Rube Goldberg yeah. of the uh, uh, search party type thing so yeah, yeah. and um you know we would we'll pile into one person's car and all a whole group of us will go on the middle of nowhere and we pull up to this lake and it was insane like it was a party everyone was on drugs there was a lot of money involved into it you know and that happened once a year we had a lot of like basement type parties downtown oh fred's too did you ever go to fred's too no i remember people talking about 
that. It was like, yeah, it was like the tail end of like when I when I was in high school and I was I wasn't even but everybody that I knew that was eighteen was going. Yeah, yeah. So I know uh, Maggie and Lauren started doing all the shows there, and uh, all the de- all the raves and stuff. And then they started turning into more mainstream after that, like around 2001, I think. They started going into nightclubs and they started like, you know, going into like, it's like national promotions and, you know, and it wasn't so underground. Like, yeah, I remember doing like weird random warehouses in the middle of like downtown um, and you go into a basement of the warehouse and they converted it into a nightclub. Were any of these people like... Are 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 they DJs that are like big now, or were they big then? That I, that I saw back then, like yeah. I would see, I don't know. Um, I saw Oakenfold at one. That's rad. Um, Tiesto. Uh, uh, saw Daft Punk actually at the one in the desert way out at Shadow Mountain, and it was like Damn. right when they started doing the whole masking thing or whatever, or the the helmets. Um, that was that was. I didn't know. I had no idea who they were, and I actually found that out years later that they were there. You know, it was one of those like, "Oh no, wait, I was at that party." <laughs> um, and then yeah, so there's, I don't remember who else, but yeah, like DJ Dan, Donald Glaude, a bunch of other like old school DJs. You had um, the DJ from D Light. You know, would come here a lot. Um, it was a good scene. I mean, it built. I mean, we had the. Turned into the Sun City Music Festival. That's true. And, and then El Paso's still kind of known for that, yeah. right? Like, no, it was a huge bridge. scene. I mean, it was a really good underground to even mainstream. It it was a, it, I think it was the culture, the Latin culture from Mexico was just like, that's, we dance clubs were in, you know, Mexico City, like, or not Mexico City, but what is when you go across every weekend in high school, you go to, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the names of all the clubs, but there was like, least 10 or 15 clubs uh-huh. that you go dancing at it was a couple of times when we drove down to sphinge and like where the carlos and mickey is and all that like way in there yeah that stuff was crazy like it was and sphinge was a huge dance club that a lot of big djs would perform at i think i did go over there once it's all a blur. Yeah. It's all a ca- like a moment in time. And like this like the soundtrack too. It's it is it the soundtrack that's one thing that Danny Boyle was talking about in, in another interview uh upon the 20 year anniversary. It was he was doing press for T2 for the second tra- train spotting movie. Yeah. Um which I haven't seen yet. Did you ever did you watch it? I I've seen it once and I I don't I wasn't as I think the first one just really got to me the second one was kind of i i think it was kind of cheesy okay i, I still just, need it. i think it was forced in a way okay got you I, yeah. and that's that's like it does it did seem later on that danny boyle was kind of trying to it was a lot of reminiscing in that interview a lot of like but but his thing was a lot of the push and pull of filmmaking right and that's if you watch his movies any of his movies it's like he does things like really on the go really fast like there's a lot of like blurry um fast paced there's a lot of running um you know slumdog millionaire mm-hmm. for sure what what are the uh, the beach that movie is fucking sick yeah that movie is crazy even that there's like a whole he's in another country and he's mm-hmm. pacing and running the track list for the soundtrack and we'll kind of break it down a little bit and we'll get into some favorites and stuff specific key thoughts and key scenes 
but it it's it kind of like hills and valleys right it's kind of punk mm-hmm. rock then it's kind of chill so track one lust for life by iggy pop track two deep blue day by brian eno mm-hmm. track three train spotting by primal scream um track four atomic by sleeper five nightclubbing by iggy pop six sing by blur seven perfect day by lou reed eight mile end by pulp um nine for what you dream of bedrock featuring Kayo. The Elastica song is at number 10, uh, 2 to 1. Born Slippy is number 11. And then there's Classic Romantic, an early Damon Albarn track. And you can kind of see it, right? Even even mm-hmm. like fucking Brian Eno. I mean, of course, Brian Eno, right? You kind of expect like an ethereal thing. But it's also like you're coming off of Lust for Life. And then you're going into Brian Eno. And it's not like Roxy Music Brian Eno, right? It's no, like, it's very... It's the dreamy kind of... Mm-hmm. And even like the songs that um, are from the more like Blur, the Blur song on there's it's Sing. It's a super chill song. Super. They do like weird, crazy odysseys that that span like several minutes. They're, they're, they're that type of band that'll do like fucking punk jammers and they'll do like crazy shit like that. Perfect Day by Blue Reed. It's a very chill song. That Mild End, the Pulp song, very chill. The Elastica song. Damn, all of them. So, so it's very like I think it lays a great foundation against like the more like disturbing imagery, the more the scarier nature of heroin and, and the story that's that's transpiring on screen. Let's see. This song also really helped and revived Iggy Pop's career at the time, Lust for Life. I, I believe was that song in the trailer? I think that was on that was a trailer song, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's also in the movie. And it's in the movie. Yeah. It's featured in it prominently. It was like it it turned his career around after twenty years of kind of like just kind of chilling out after you know, after I guess drugs. Yeah. I think the three songs that I know stand out of this whole soundtrack is Born Slippy Lust for Life and Choose Life. Yeah. Yeah. Those three are the songs of yeah. uh Iggy Pop did say it it totally it was like his biggest hit twenty years after the fact. The Brit pop bands that were in this, like Blur, Pulp, at the time it was that whole Blur Oasis feud that was mm-hmm. happening. Well, didn't Oasis just have a feud with everyone? <laughs> Oasis did have a feud with everyone. They had a feud with every everyone Britpop. There were everyone in Brit like even the Beatles they had a feud with. They were better than the Beatles or whatever. <sighs> right? And but I, I was so into Oasis at the time. Like yeah. weirdly as a kid, it was like I had that album, What's the Story Morning Glory? I knew all the words from that album. I it saw It was a good album. It was a good album. I yeah. Anything after that, I don't know. I would say Blur won the war. That's what I would yeah. say. Um, but they all both kind of lost, I think, because like Blur just kind of like. Well, he went off into his own producing mm-hmm. thing, where he produced, you know, the Gorillas and and um, he did he did something before the Gorillas. He's done a like he did with the Gorillas. He he's done just solo stuff. He did a band with. Lee and oh, yeah. someone from Radiohead or something. <laughs> uh, the Queen, the something, the something. And 
What else? But he did. I mean, he he had another song on this. Damon yeah. Albarn had a song on this. So I'm guessing that it was a very. Um, it's it's a quintessential British movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you can't have that without pop and like, but like you're saying, born slippy, and choose life. life. Less for life yeah. <laughs> choose. No, those are all definitely. But if you really look at it, it is. I mean, I don't know of anyone besides Iggy Pop. You know that is not. When you think of this, you from, do, you think of the you right, and then Iggy Pop's the only. Is he the hmm. only American? Really, I think so because you right? have like, yeah, because you have like Lou Reed, Pulp. They're all you know, Elastica, Left Field, Damon Albarn, Underworld. Wow. You know, then you go to soundtrack even twos, PF Project, Underworld, George's. George, George Bizet. Bizet, uh David Bowie, um, Ice MC, they're all British, you know. Is Primal Scream? No, they're British. Yeah. Totally British. Very so, British. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a very prominent, like, Iggy Pop's the only American artist. Something to artist. note. That's crazy. I yeah. didn't even notice that. Wow. You learn something every new. Uh, yeah, every new. You learn something every, every new. new. <laughs> you learn something new every day on Mono Stereo Video. Yeah. But so even was, like, okay, so even the New Order stuff. So New Order, then, you know, the dance club, you have, um, what's that hit that they... Uh, Blue Monday? Blue Monday. Blue Monday. You know, so that was when every dance club, that was in every, like, Britpop night or, like, you know, New Order night or New Wave night or whatever. You know, but then, like, you know, the song Temptation comes out. Or mm. I hear that on, I was like, mm. whoa. New Order has some actually I I because of this I looked more into New Order and I had no oh. idea that New Order was Joy Division until yeah. I started looking into it and like and so this movie actually brought in my my reach to like a lot of the British music um cuz I did I've, I've I've heard of New Order I've heard of these bands and David Bowie and all that stuff and um you know I've heard them in clubs and people bars or whatever but I didn't, you know, obviously, I, like I said, I was like really just into punk rock. So listening to this and being like, okay, this is good. And it brought in my horizons to listen to like Joy Division. And what I love about soundtracks in the 90s, 80s, um, I think we even talked about it on Hot Lunch a little bit with Casey and Norman. It's just like we, you know, back then it was like the labels were very in tuned with the music production or the movie production companies. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, I'm going to give this, like, one artist is going to blow up, so I'm going to put him in this movie, and this one artist would make a song for this movie, you know, and it had that whole... So soundtracks back there were like, that's, I don't know, that's where a lot of new stuff came out, you know? And that's where a lot of, like, the mainstream happened was through soundtracks. Now it's kind of hard. Like every once in a while, you'll get a good movie, maybe an underground movie or something that'll have a good soundtrack, and you'll go listen to the soundtrack front front to back. But I don't think it's actually that prominent anymore. It was more eighties and nineties where the soundtracks were like the thing. There are definitely many of those that we are yeah. we will cover on this soundtrack. Top Gun. On this, on this, oh, <laughs> so many on this on this podcast. But this one, I feel like brought. Ray, it. I think it brought British culture to um, like a weird, like a weird night, like nineties mainstream, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's a meshing of 
what they were doing fashion-wise and the rebelliousness of everything and this anti-conservative breakout in art and culture, which always mm-hmm. seems to need to happen to yeah. balance out all the, I would say, um, all the neoliberalism and and the powers that be trying to crush us down. We always seem to kind of have to have these sort of movements. And in Britain, it's, I don't think, like you're saying, there's Britpop nights, right? There's Britpop things where you'll 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 hear this fucking soundtrack back and forth at these at these yeah. nights and stuff, right? Um, along with just extra little thing, little Roxy music thrown in here, mm-hmm. right? But then you mix the new wave and Britpop a lot together. You know what? It actually did open my eyes to like. I want to go and venture out and, and see what the UK is all about. Or, okay. You know, and, and I did start looking into, you know, what is Britpop? What is British music and what is a British culture and scene? You know, what would, what, what's your favorite song off this soundtrack? We've, you've spoken at, at length about a couple, of, a couple of tunes specific, but what would you say is your favorite one off this? Off either of the soundtracks. Uh, I really, I don't know why, but every time the song comes on, Born Slippy, it it has a a very positive impact with me. Same. Like we- it, uh, it, it, I don't know. I dance to it. It's just really good. It's just like, it's, it's a good song. I don't know. And then when I saw Underworld perform in Austin, Texas, I don't remember what year it was. And it's just like, Having it was like the I think it was the first time I saw someone with like electronic drums and you know it wasn't just like a DJ behind a I was like oh so it was a whole life set yeah whole thing oh and like I think I mean I think that's what Underworld does every time but this was yeah I saw some videos online of uh they came out a couple of years ago but they were like the tenth anniversary of Born Slippy and it was like Underworld performs this I I need to watch those because they were like they were they played the whole fucking track they played the whole extended ass version of everything yeah yeah, it looked pretty cool wow I think I'm kind of with you I think on on that you you know nightclubbing is my favorite Iggy Pop song and that scene too is like that's when he sees the baby yeah walking across the ceiling the famous scene um that to me kind of encapsulates the movie nightclubbing Mm -hmm. to me is like it's an Iggy Pop song. Are all th- I think all of these are off the idiot except for Lust for Life. Uh, and it was written by, it was a, a David Bowie song mm-hmm. played by Iggy Pop. And it was, wasn't it the song or wasn't it the idiot, like the, the, the album that like Ian Curtis was living, was listening to before he like killed himself and stuff as Ooh. well. I don't know. So there's like I, I think that's what it is. There's this there's this whole metaphysical connection between all of that, I think. I think mm. there's like this weird connection between those songs. I think that time because the idiot is like it it I mean that song is like a heroin song, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. it's heroin music. It's it's weird that it was it was well picked. <laughs> the, you know. Um with all these songs here, it definitely. Mono stereo video doesn't condone any excessive or any um, 
destructive behavior. But if you're going to experiment with drugs and stuff, I mean, you might as well have like a good soundtrack to it. Yeah. Um, I feel that music does. Okay. So like, yeah, I think with any positive drug experience, you know, cause there is negative, positive, uh-huh. whatever, but positive drug experience, it's always with music. Like, and again, like, I'm not saying like, go out and do it and, and all that. But, you know, when you're doing acid, it's like, oh, wow, put on a good freaking album, pick an album and, and you just trip out on it. And it's like the best thing ever from Molly to even shrooms to to marijuana, you know, like to smoking weed. You know, it's like I think a friend of mine told me like the like experienced, I think, uh, the Beach Boys or something. And like just just zone the fuck out on repeat with just getting high as shit with weed and just really understanding the albums. And it's like, yeah, so it I don't know. I think with the positive it, it, it definitely is music that makes it a positive I think with this too, like you're saying there's a po- they can have positive and negative experience. I think this movie with the soundtrack itself it is a is an experience. I think that's why it lasts so long, right? Yeah. Because you could feel the beats in the movie while you're listening to the soundtrack and you could feel the movement of it because it is it is it's fast-paced, but then there's like there's that baby scene which everything just fucking slows down while they're doing the drugs. And then the perfect day scene is where Rant actually has his uh overdose before he like he comes yeah. clean forever and that's like where he's thrown into the car and shit, where he falls into the floor and he just kind of sees everything. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect day. So, and it, it's just, it's crazy that it's like boom, boom, boom. And then it all has to come down and crash. Yeah. And like you're saying, an experience. I think the second soundtrack as well, it's not, it's not so much throwaways. It, the, the filmmakers themselves said that it was like uh, one of those things where it was stuff that they couldn't include in the first soundtrack and as well stuff that they were listening to um while they were making the movie and then stuff that was in the movie that wasn't on the first soundtrack so mm-hmm. i guess that's was like the whole delay maybe there was like licensing thing oh, yeah, yeah. that probably happened had to happen but yeah you're right it's it's everything's well thought out it does seem like like somebody went into their collection found their favorite tunes uh got high then found some more favorite tunes and Put them together into yeah. a, a, an album of stuff. Um, what would you say is your favorite scene in the movie? What's the mo- what's the scene in the movie that kind of sticks out in your mind? Honestly, is the is the whole baby scene. I think that scene just sticks out completely, and I think that's also what turned me off on on it. Just putting animals or babies into something just it, it it really hits home with no matter what direction whether you like something or hate something i mean i could see like the friends being overdosing i can see like them being in like horrible situations at their house and like all that but when they throw in the whole baby the whole baby scene it was just like do you and mcgregor after this went and worked on a life less ordinary Ewan McGregor mm. right after this. A Lifeless Ordinary. It was him, Cameron Diaz, Holly Hunter, another Danny Boyle movie. Mm. Romantic black comedy film. It was the same the same people, same dudes, same dudes that brought brought us 
Train Spotting. Luis, thank you very much for for coming yeah. in. What uh, do you have anything to plug? No, just uh, keep an eye on the future of 2023 of all uh, what's happening here. Yeah, keep on the lookout for more stuff. You going on tour or anything like that with March. anybody? March, I'm going to Europe with uh, Russian Circles and Cult of Luna. We're going to do a, like a three and a half week tour there. And then August, we're going to do a bunch of festivals in Europe. Uh, other than that, I'm staying home in Spokane and working on a bunch of cool things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Luis. Thank you very much to you guys for listening. Until the next episode of Mono Stereo Video, goodbye.